welcome back to another episode of Not D&D, which is brought to you by EN Live, part of EN World, the leading tabletop RPG news and review site. Thanks very much for coming along again to everyone watching. Uh, please uh, give me a big hand round of applause and say hello in the comments to welcome our guest, Andrew Peregrine. Hello, Andy. Thanks for coming along. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, if you could give yourself a little introduction for those of the audience members that might not be know who you are. Okay, well, that, that's fair because nobody really knows who I am. I uh, do. It's uh, <laughs> uh, I had a, a my favourite thing I had uh, many years ago. I got uh, I was doing some work for Wright Publishing, and one of our editors uh, looked at my back catalogue. I was amazed. Oh my god! I hadn't realised you'd written all this stuff. And <laughs> uh, his uh, his boss Steve uh, just said to him, "Yeah, Andy's the most prolific writer you've never heard of." <laughs> I thought, uh, that is brilliant. I want that on my tombstone. That's there we go. All brilliant. right, noted. <laughs> so yes, I'm Andy Peregrine. I, I my main job is in the theatre, but I do freelance uh, role playing writing at the moment. I'm the lead writer of Dune, which is awesome. Very excited about it. But in my time, I've done work for EN World on Judge Dread and mm -hmm. for a lot of bits for Cubicle Seven, yeah. Ronin, and like pretty much any freelance writer, I've been around several different role playing companies and been very lucky to do some really cool things. Excellent. Well, that's a great thing. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, Dune, the, the the name that I've been struggling to pronounce uh, all week, because uh, whenever I say Dune, uh, everyone always stops me and says, what? And needs clarification. So, Andrew, as you've been working on it, what is the correct way to say this? Well, as as a dedicated Englishman, I, I call it Dune. Um, Dune, okay. Dune. And I, and I like to emphasize the U to it and, and feel the languid, languid word that it is. Uh, okay. But I believe a lot of Americans call it Dune. Dune. Um, okay. it's, it's the tuna tuna thing. Oh, which okay. I remember trying to order tuna on a pizza because that is one of my favorite things. Don't judge me. Don't you judge, I am, judge I me. I am that. completely judging um, you. Tuna on a pizza? Yeah. Tuna on that's pizza wild. is brilliant. It's the that's way forward. Almost that's almost worse than pineapple. That's shocking. Actually, to, to be fair, actually, I like tuna and pineapple is my one of choice. So, uh, yeah, that's... That's <laughs> okay. wild. Yeah, so um, we're not going to be expressing... Okay, but let's not talk about but, that. Yeah, well, we but, won't get pizza <laughs> together. But let's talk... Take us back to games where we were, yes. <laughs> as we were saying. So with, 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 with games, um, yeah. obviously, you, 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 you like playing a lot of games. When did you start playing yeah. role-playing games? What was your first role-playing oh, uh, experience? Well, it was, um, you know, Russ won't, won't believe me, but it was D&D, &D, obviously. It was the, uh, <laughs> we joined in when I was about 11, which is a very long time ago now. We joined in the school D&D &D club, um, just started playing, and I was hooked. It was it was as simple as that. I mean, at the time, obviously, D&D &D wasn't the only game out there, but yeah, mm -hmm. it was still, you know, the one everyone got started on. And, yeah. as, as is similar now, to be honest, I mm. think. Yeah, it's it's actually to be honest, I love that it's it's come back to being this huge thing because when fourth edition came out, and it you know it dropped off, they upset a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. The system was very different. Uh, there's a lot of things I really liked about fourth edition, um, but uh, it didn't. It was it was a shame that it sort of you know D and D dropped down, and now I love mm -hmm. that they've we've created fifth edition's great system. And that it's brought D&D &D back into the public eye as well. You know, outside the industry, people are getting into D&D. &D, uh, and hopefully they can experience all role-playing from this. But if they never yeah. play anything other than D&D, &D, that's brilliant. You know, so, so, you know, they're doing the hobby and bringing into it. And we're seeing this happen all over the place. So, yeah, excellent. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say D&D um, &D was your, your first system because we've had some conversations. So as as uh, Andrew mentioned, he we've worked together before at EM mm. Publishing because he wrote The Robot Wars, the Judge Dredd line we used mm. to, to have. Uh, and we were having some conversations about um, about D&D &D, and you have some very strong opinions on it. And in the first episode of Not D&D, mm. &D, I made the joke, I said to Russ, why do we hate Dungeons and Dragons? Because the name of the show makes it sound like that. Yeah. And we explained that we actually don't. But I will say to you, Andrew, why do you hate Dungeons and Dragons? Well, to be fair, it's Russ seemed to think I hate Dungeons and Dragons and I, <laughs> and I don't at all. Um, however, the one that really upset him was I said to him, it's not a, it's not a role-playing game. Yeah. And he went, uh, that's, what? What? Yeah. You see people bristling already. Um, I would usually describe D&D &D as, uh, this is why I'm never going to get to work for Wizards now, Anna. Um, I would describe D&D <laughs> &D as a small unit tactical war game that happens to lend itself exceptionally well to role-playing. 
um, if you look at the system, uh, it, and it's where it came from. You know, I don't think D&D is ashamed of its roots. It was a, a battle game yeah. that somebody went, you know what, if we just take a few of the smaller characters and we play them with personality rather than just, um, and they'll make the battles more fun, it'll get us more interested into things. And it was a brilliant idea. Uh, but the roots of that are still in the system. They're baked in, in a way that people would be upset if you got rid of them. For instance, if you have a scientist character, if you can find mm -hmm. a scientist class, then uh, you can't decide to not be good at combat. You will be as good as combat as a person of X level will be. You can't decide to spend those points anywhere else for a start, things mm -hmm. like that. And there's a few cranky things that you get with any other old system, but I'm not going to blame it for that because that's, you know, they were still finding their feet in things. And newer systems have the advantage of building on the, the back of all the other games that have come before it. And I don't really want D&D to change. So, uh, so yeah, that one I usually say to wind Russ up. But yeah. to be fair, my um, I've been playing a Dragonlance campaign. It took me a very long time. We're, we're still working our way through the final modules of Dragonlance because it was on okay. my things it's so i could also face margaret weiss at gamers conventions because she's lovely uh and i didn't <laughs> want to say i've never played it. Read your novels haven't played the game and uh i used to play my biggest dnd things or mm -hmm. biggest gaming things was when i was a teenager because i am still and always was a horrible nerd that my friday night would be going around to my friend moira's uh to play dnd from about half seven till midnight mm -hmm. and uh, and we would play dnd constantly through the uh, through most of my uh, teenage years, we were doing that. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan. We saw first into second edition and uh, all that. Well, there we go. So, yeah. We are, but ten minutes into the show, yeah. and you're already creating mm. controversy with the statement: yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is not a role playing <laughs> game. So you know, people saying I disagree, but Andrew's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. We have other people saying, yeah, I kind of <laughs> agree. So already creating controversy. However, that's what I'm here for. However, we are not going to spend uh, any more time talking about Dungeons and Dragons because yeah. this is not D and D. Yes. This is a table. This is a show where we talk about other tabletop RPGs. Yes. And to be fair, this conversation is a lot more fun when I've got Russ to wind up. Um, it's, you know. He's here in the comments, skulking yeah. somewhere. Oh, I can I'd see. Imagine. I can feel the growling. <laughs> Great. Um, but but going back to. RPGs mm. that are not Dungeons and Dragons. So you you played a lot of uh, RPGs growing up, mm. as you said. Um, how did that transition to you working uh, working in RPGs? Uh, it's it's a it's a long long slow story. I used to write. We have the time. Um, that's what this yeah. is for. <laughs> yeah, you know this. Me, I can go on all night. You know. Yeah, this is so why I invited you to guess. Yeah. I'm just you're just going to be able to talk. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so I I got to I fell in love with Call of Cthulhu. It was my first game uh -huh. I played from there. And, uh, and once you're sort of inspired with, oh, there are other games out there, mm -hmm. um, I would then write little games myself. You know, but usually there'd be versions of Call of Cthulhu, because again, a simpler system, you could just throw it together. We would play games for pretty much anyone. I think we'd play, the, we'd play an Airwolf game, a Monkey game, uh, pretty much any mm -hmm. um, license, even The Prisoner, which I'm a big fan of The Prisoner. Um, that one I tried to make a role-playing game of as well. Uh, yeah. I even had, maybe one day I'll do this again, a game called Ice Pirates. I have still never seen the film Ice Pirates, but I like okay. the name. And I wrote a whole yeah. sort of setting with all the things you do when you're 16. So I had to put like lightsabers into it and flying spaceships because I'd just seen, or flying galleons rather, because I'd just Amazing. seen the episode of Doctor Who with that. Nice. So yeah, you throw in all the things that you love and, and see if it makes sort of sense. And so you've always been writing things. You make, as a, as a DM, you make games, you make adventures. And one day you sit down and go, well, actually, could I send them to someone? Could I, would anyone actually be interested in this? Mm -hmm. And I got in touch with, or just got involved with a few playtest boards. So I was a mm -hmm. big fan of the Buffy role-playing game, which yeah. was from, um, oh, God, I can't remember now. Um, but same ones do All Flesh and Beaten and loads of other great games. And... I was on their playtest board where you'd see they'd, they'd put the books up in text form and those of us who'd all signed our non-disclosure agreements would write bits and pieces about them and say we like that we didn't like that yeah so, which was a, it was a great session for those things mm -hmm. and i remember writing seeing for the monster uh book they had monster smackdown i mentioned oh it'd be nice if there was a little, a little section on vampire hunters you know the humans who just do not slayers and all the big important witches you know, but just the ordinary people 
that because you mm -hmm. see a few of those in the Buffy series and the response I got back was okay do you want to write just a thousand words on that what um oh yeah uh yes I do okay and so I, I read that and it went in the book and I was like great oh my god that's <laughs> stuff in a book this is so I got chatting you got chatting to other people I got mm -hmm. in touch with um it was Rob I can't so I've gone completely blank on people at the moment. But I got in touch with AEG about 7C because that it remains one of my all-time favourite role-playing games. Okay. As my general one, just to wind up um, wind up Russ, is 7C is the greatest setting ever made. Pendragon is the greatest system ever made. Uh, I will fight people on most of those. You will and fight people? Okay. I will, I will All right. I, I won't argue with you there. <laughs> I'll just, okay, okay, fine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I sent them an email saying, you know, how do I write for your game? Which, to be honest, mm -hmm. is still basically the best way to get into the industry. You know, mail someone about a game you love and say, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And they will often come back with, sometimes they'll say, we've got enough writers, you know, we're not, we can't fit any people in. Yeah. Uh, but this one, they said, do me a, a, a little article, see what you're like. And at this point they needed, I think, a convention adventure. So they asked me to write it. This is all for free, by the by the way. You're trying to get you're trying to get your foot in the door. You have to set them out of free work, but they don't okay. usually do anything massively involved. It's not like writes a book and do that. But I did a little adventure for them that I think they used in conventions. Uh, I think it did mm -hmm. see publication somewhere, and uh, they went, "Oh, I like your style. You're good for the the game." And I got some paid work from that. And it just like all things, the more you've done the more you can then say to other people, often at games conventions or when you yeah. approach other companies, you can say, oh, I've done this. And they can look that up and go, oh, right, you've done some stuff. So then they can, they know mostly because what they want to know is not are you a genius writer because there's plenty of genius writers out there. Uh, they mostly want to know that you can hit a deadline enough to get your work to happen, <laughs> which yeah. is one of the things. It's the advice I usually give people is say, write what they asked you to write and turn it in on time. If you can do those two things, you will be, you have a great career ahead of you as a role-playing writer. Yeah. If uh, they want to write about mm -hmm. dwarves, write about dwarves. Don't do elves or something because that's what you fancy doing. You know, and turn it in on time and spell check it. Obviously, that's the third one that shouldn't have to be said. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, from a publisher's perspective, I'd say yes. If you have yeah. a great writer, that's, that's one thing. But somebody that actually hands mm. things in on time is so important because the writing is only from the publisher's mm. perspective the first kind of phase of yeah. making making the whole book and if that gets delayed everything you yeah. know yeah. And, and write something you love have fun with it because that will come up on the page every single time um if people have been bored while they've been writing you it reads boringly mm -hmm. um you know and there's plenty of stuff out here to love you know i, I couldn't I can barely write for all the things that I want to write for. It's the joy of being a freelancer. I basically yeah. spend most of my time nagging people saying, wow, your game is awesome. How can I work on it? Mm -hmm. And there's still plenty of things I would, I haven't had a chance to get involved in that I would love to do. Oh, and, yeah? Um, oh, so, I mean, particularly I missed out on the, the Sabbat book for Vampire. I chased Vampire around several different companies. It's okay. quite funny. Every time I get to work on it, it's one of my favourite games ever. Every time I get to work on it, it then moves companies. So uh, I got to work for it with um, the when they did the Vampire 20th anniversary game, mm -hmm. uh, and I believe they they were said they were only going to do like an anniversary thing, and were quite surprised that this turned into a game line all of a sudden because it was so popular. Mm -hmm. And I got it's still one of my favourite emails. I got um, an email from Eddie Webb who was running the game at the time, said we're doing a book on clans. Which are your favourite ones would you uh, that you'd like to write for us? Oh my god! I get to write up my favourite kinds of vampire. <laughs> that's that's like the best thing ever. Yeah, that yeah. was incidentally that was Tremere and La Sombra, and I did look, ended up doing Nosferatu as well. But then, of course, just you think, right? I'm in. I'm a vampire writer. I'm doing. Then it went to Modiphius and and also Onyx Path, and then I got to write on Fall of London for Modiphius because that was before we did Dune. And just mm. I got, well, I'm in again. I'm in with the vampire thing. We're going to do so much more stuff. And now it's a renegade. So. <laughs> So I haven't got to nag them that one yet. So, uh, so yes, it, it's one of those things that you, I keep chasing around, but it's it's one of my favourite ones to do. 
Excellent. Well, I think um, working in the games industry, because I'm in a non-creative role, from what you said, it sounds very similar, though, that once you get one job in the games industry, it kind of mm. snowballs because then people are like, oh, you can do this and you've done that. So it's getting your foot in the door and getting that first thing is the most challenging mm. part. But once you're there, it will kind of, you know, yeah. and as long as you're a good person to work with, it's, yeah. yeah. It's it's the thing you have to remember, people have to remember as well, it is a small industry. Mm -hmm. And if you are a pain to people generally, word does get round. I mean, sometimes there are a few great writers or whatever that, that might be mm -hmm. able to get away with it and they'll you know, have a great name. But generally, if you've upset one company by turning everything in late or, or you know, always demanding more money or, or doing you know, bad work or something, people will hear about it because people <laughs> talk. And it's, it's one of those Gossip, things that yeah. I've funny is there are things i will hear at one company and then i go oh because if you freelance you hear a lot of different things and of course you can't mm -hmm. you have to remember although these are all your friends you can't i can't share things i hear at cubicle seven with things i hear at modifius and vice versa they're all actually uh -huh. different companies you know uh, but every now and again i will i will be sitting on something i think oh this is big <laughs> and, and then one of the other people say oh yes i've heard they've got that so like, how do you know <laughs> you know i'm working on it and i, I so word get around in this company and also that works the other way around you know that uh, if you get known as someone who's done stuff mm -hmm. so there are people who you've never met may well say oh yeah i've been wondering if i could get you on a project and you're like you've heard of me <laughs> uh, so, you know sometimes it works i mean i as you were saying before about no one ever having heard of me it seems that enough people have heard in the games industry so yeah. i still get the work you know it doesn't really yeah. matter what your personal family i love doing these these things great but you know there's there's not a queue of people wanting my you know expert celebrity opinion on anything <laughs> well, well we but, do that's why we invited you here yeah so that's why until june but it was lovely it's lovely too because i love doing these things but uh, mm -hmm. but you know i'm not really a, a big celebrity and you know some other games games people mm -hmm. are but and you worry sometimes is that the thing do i need to have more of a celebrity profile to get more work and actually it turns out not because what is nice in this industry is the work will out you know if you've worked on good books people are, because we're all reading the yeah. same books you know yeah. i know that all the it's not the companies going oh i don't know what this role playing is we just make it they all yes. it. they're all reading yeah. each other's stuff mm -hmm. people are spending all their time looking at each other's games going wow your game is awesome i've read everything and mm -hmm. um so if you then say, oh, I worked on this, they go, oh, right, we should get you on our project because we like what we read in that one. So it does work in the end. It does, yeah. Okay. Well, I have put a very big picture on the screen of the book yeah. that we are here to talk about and the project that you're currently mm. or have been working on. Uh, we're talking about Dune. Um, yes. So talk to us a little bit about how are you involved with that? What was your role in making uh, this this product, okay. this game? Well, this is this is one of those dream projects you know I'd, it's been a thing i've been wanting to for a while is is to head up something you know a really big license thing i never mm -hmm. imagined for a minute it would be something the size of dune um when they when i heard that Medifius had got hold of it i just nagged chris birch incessantly and said <laughs> yeah, can i do something anything anything and then and then here i am strangely sitting here as as the lead writer for it so uh, it's ended up i was started off with sort of managing bits of the project and we did various bits and pieces through it there's a long convoluted story of bits and okay. pieces going on in the background but essentially my job is is the most awesome job you could ever have on this is that i develop the content what's going to be in the books mm -hmm. uh, i parcel out the writing to the various writing team writers that i have i've got an amazing team of writers uh, and also i should add because again it's the backstage part art design art directors graphic design layout they have knocked it out of the park on this game they are absolutely yeah. phenomenal and uh, so i get to sort of decide what's going to be in these books and obviously pass it through Medifius's uh senior management and everything and see what they're mm -hmm. like uh, but thankfully they've liked what i've been putting together so far and uh and, and then we produce these books and i get to pick my favorite bits to write as well because i'm the first one to make the decision although that is the oh. hardest part there are many things i've looked at and go oh i want to write this bit up and i have to sort oh, yeah? and go no I've got to give that to someone else because if I sit and write that, I, it takes away time from doing some of the development and organizing mm -hmm. and bits and pieces that I have to do. Yeah. So you sort of go, 
yeah, I haven't got time to write that one because I might have to be reading this or developing that, so I have to hand that on to somebody else. Who sort of looks at it and goes, you gave me this, I thought you'd be doing that one. No, I want to, but I can't. But, uh, but most of the Slacks was written by me in this one because they're my, my favourites, and, mm-hmm. and I hold that one, that's mine. <laughs> so you're kind of the lead writer on it, so you're kind yeah. of, this is all your fault, really, is, is in a way yeah, what you're saying. Pretty, I mean, <laughs> it's... I could probably blame other people, but I ought to carry the can okay. myself. You know, I ought to put my <laughs> hand up and say I'm charged. Uh, but no, I we're very pleased with this book. It's uh, it's a. I mean, obviously, this is the time to do Dune. So if people mm-hmm. haven't seen the the recent movie, or you know, I'm not sure how they might not have heard of it, but go and yeah. check it out. It is phenomenal. I'm a massive yeah. fan of the, the movie. It's just uh, better than I expected, and I was expecting yeah. a lot. And this is so. This is the official game based on mm-hmm. based on the books rather than the movie. So we always go back to the original okay. Frank Herbert novels, right? And uh, to give the an idea of the setting to those who don't don't know Dune, it's it's a mm-hmm. wonderful thing because it is it's effectively it's kind of the Lord of the Rings of the science fiction era. It's one of those mm-hmm. big foundational novels. Yes. And what makes it particularly interesting as a sci-fi setting is that it doesn't have any of the things you'd expect in a sci-fi setting. It doesn't have ships that fly at warp speed across between planets. Yeah. It doesn't have any ro- robots. It certainly doesn't have computers because the setting is that in about, probably about another 10,000 years from now, humanity fights against artificial intelligence. You know, the machines mm-hmm. basically try and take over. And after a long fight that we only barely win, humanity does prevail. But after this, they decide, well, clearly... Artificial intelligence did not go well for us. So they put an utter ban, almost a religious ban, on mm-hmm. all computers and what they call thinking machines. Uh, but of course, it's very difficult to get away around with computers. They're, they're working out all the stuff for navigating across space and all the other bits and pieces they do. Yeah. So over the next 10,000 years, uh, humanity starts to develop and evolve into something new. So you have human beings who have minds like computers. You can remember every fact you've ever known. And you can process and calculate, sometimes even predicting the future. There are, it, there are also humans who are mutated by a particular drug, the spice, which we come back to. Mm-hmm. They, are, they can use their mind to predict the safe path through, through space for the, for the spacecraft they use, which can mm-hmm. fold space and move across from one planet to another almost instantly. And there are all these shadowy organisations, like one of my favourites, the Bene Gesserit, which is a sisterhood entirely mm-hmm. made of women, who have been guiding humanity behind the scenes with a sort of special breathing plan to make sure they're working towards a super being, because they themselves have practised an incredible selection of training in how to make the most of their body and their physicality. So they are lethal fighters. They have got utter control over the, the, the science and the chemistry of their bodies to do what they want, want to do with it. Um, and then the peak of what it is to be human. So there are all manner of weird special abilities people have got. Yeah. But there's no magic in this, in this game, but some bits that feel a bit magic. And the technology is kind of hidden because it is so advanced, it's just sitting in the background. Mm-hmm. Yet you have these spacecraft and you have feudal yeah. houses where it's, where it's broken into now as well. Mm-hmm. Various different noble houses control various parts of the universe in what is effectively a trade empire rather than yeah. a sort of nice empire of a king. I mean, there is an emperor, thing, but everything is based on who is making money out of trade, effectively. Mm-hmm. And the most vital thing in the universe is the spice. A, spice, a substance that is found on only one planet in the entire universe and it's a horrible, unpleasant desert world. It's too hot for yes. anyone. Nobody wants to live there. And it's the world called Dune. And in this place, the spice that they mine from it is wanted by everyone. Because yeah. not only does it allow these guild navigators to take spacecraft across these vast and stellar distances, but mm-hmm. it also makes you can let you live longer. And if you can just take this sort of weird drug that also gives some people visions and all kinds of things, but just on the, on the basic level, People want to take this thing that gives them a few more years of life. It's, as you can imagine, quite popular. Yeah. So whoever controls Arrakis controls the universe. And uh, the politics around who is in control of the universe from and who has a power over the spice is the, is the story that's going to play out over the, over the novels and the films yeah. um, and in our book. So, uh, so we set the book itself is set just before the effectively the first novel, so just before the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
this one gives you the opportunity to play as characters in one of the noble houses. You create your own noble house because there are okay. loads of these different houses. Yes. And it was very important to us to not just go, oh, you start as a, as a, as a minor nothing house and you build a way up. Mm -hmm. You can do that. But I also want, I'm a big fan of going, if the NPCs can have it, the players should have it. Okay. So in this one, if you want to play a house that controls four different planets and is one of the greatest, most important houses in the Imperium, that's all yours as well. The balance is that you'll have a lot of enemies and a lot of stuff people wanting to take it away from you. So yeah. think on your level carefully before you begin. <laughs> and, uh, and all of your players in the game are elite agents of that house. So you're the go-to guys uh, who are part of that house. You've served, you're loyal to that house, mm -hmm. so you know you can trust each other for the most part, at least. Yeah. And you might have come from all kinds of different backgrounds. So you've got all the iconic characters. You can play Fremen, Guild um, guild Agents, play Bene Gesserit, and all kinds of bits and pieces. So you, you've got all manner of different cool mm -hmm. characters to play. But if you don't play any of those, there's still a manner of cool options for you to play as a character yeah. because you are the fixers of your house. So you yeah. go out and do the do what keeps uh, what they need done and uh, an adventure in the Imperium, basically. So we've got a couple of the characters mm. on the screen here. So can you yeah. talk us through what we're, we're looking at here? We've got some very yeah. cool looking people. So we've got, yeah, oh, they're, I mean, I cannot over... Um, oversell the art that we have for this game we had mm -hmm. uh, our art director and the, all the artists just done awesome work look it's a joy to look through this book uh, i say that someone with no artistic ability whatsoever <laughs> but so artistic appreciation be, yeah yes well uh, the appreciation i can do because i but it's kind of a problem in this work because i'm meant to be critical of these pieces of art i'm meant to look at them and, and spot canon issues or problems that and make sure they are what we need and nine times out of ten if not ten times out of ten i will open them open a file with the new art that we've got and i just go wow uh, and it's very hard to be objective it's very hard to go hmm let me look at what's wrong with this i, I can't find yeah it. I, when I, you're being I, such I a fan about it yeah i just keep going oh my god that looks amazing so so what we have on this one is this is the guild agent is well these are all the faction what we call faction characters so they're people who have got another allegiance outside their house although okay. they have pledged themselves to your Okay. So guild guild agents are members of the spacing guild. Um, mm -hmm. They are not necessarily people flying the ships, although some of them could be pilots. The guild does a lot of banking, and they but they have connections to all the trade and the movement of goods across the universe as well. Okay. And of course, on the right, you have the Fremen, who are the desert warriors, who are going to be engaged by House Atreides and become some of the most fearsome fighters in the universe. But at the moment, are a group of random desert people that nobody quite knows very well who have been hidden away in the uh, in the in the deep deserts of arrakis uh, mm -hmm. places nobody able to do and uh, it's one of the things i love they're the people that truly understand dune and arrakis and it's one of the things i wanted to write into the book as we were going that it's for the outsiders it is a hellhole of just desert and sand and yeah heat and but i've also been always been a fan of, of deserts themselves and when you see the sun um sun setting over behind the dunes and the way the shadows shift as mm. the dunes go on the end and the colors and uh, all kinds of things there's a beauty in the desert and the fremen are the only people that get that and they're seeing all these people coming to this planet just for spice and just to mine stuff and complain how hot it is and none of them really appreciate what it is they're taking or stealing from what is actually quite a beautiful place if only they would see it in the right way well, there we go so that's mm. kind of the fremen there and we yeah. have another bunch of character yeah. art here as well so if you could talk us through yeah. uh these kind of characters and these and those roles you mentioned are they mm. so you can play these uh those roles in the game as a character yes. absolutely um what you do with these is if you want to take a faction character which is one of these five then you simply have you break up your character just the same as anybody else there are mm -hmm. just a few things that you have to take to make sure you have the right skill but okay. you still have a lot of variety. So you don't actually gain any more or less power. than Because okay. sometimes you see these things, I say if you want to play Star Wars, it's very difficult to play a Jedi and not be a little bit far further ahead of everybody else. Yeah. These things. Because you have access to things that the others don't mm -hmm. have. These yeah. faction characters do have some, some really extra cool powers, but there's enough cool stuff for everybody else as well. Yeah. So it doesn't unbalance the game if everyone wants to okay. play these or so we've got on the left you have the soup doctor and these are the people who they have a diamond tattoo on their 
forehead uh, that marks them having had what they call imperial conditioning, which means they are, they are incapable of hurting people that they that they treat or or anyone really, which makes them the perfect people to serve the nobility, who are horrifically paranoid. People are poisoning, assassinating, all kinds of different yes. things. So when it comes to medical matters, you want a doctor you can absolutely trust. So these are not only the best doctors in the universe, but also they are the most trusted doctors in the universe. That makes them profoundly useful. Mm -hmm. uh, then in the middle, you have a mentat, uh, in this case, a Harkonnen mentat from House of Harkonnen. You can see from the uh, sigil on the chest there. Uh, mm -hmm. What the mentats can do, they're the human computers. They can process, they can okay. remember stuff, and they become their advisors to their houses. So if you want any memory, anything remembered or recorded, figures for your mining, uh, how your trade thing was going, they remember everything. Baseball card, uh, statistics, whatever you like. <laughs> uh, there's the, the amount of gigabytes of data that a, a human brain can hold is way more than anything we have these days. And also because it's a human mind, they can recall this information and they can mix yeah. and matching and they can calculate things from it. They can notice, oh, your trade figures there were down there. But if you looked at the other house's trade figures, I've noticed a correlation. Maybe they're stealing our stuff. So there's a, they are got a very powerful mental characters. Mm -hmm. And then the last ones are the Bene Gesserit, the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood, a secretive group of all women faction who have um, studied the human body to the level that they can, uh, they are at the apex of their um of their physicality, they have all manner of weird powers, but because they're a secretive order, uh, they are generally not trusted by people. And yeah. there's everyone Fair wants, enough. as usual, these things. Everyone wants, yeah, the patriarchy is sadly strong in Dune. Um, <laughs> and it's one of the things that one of the reasons the Bene Gesserit are, are very powerful because everyone worries about what power they have, uh, but they can't do without their ability, they can detect lies. Uh, they mm -hmm. are, they have got their claws into pretty much. Uh, every aspect of imperial and imperial life. Uh, there are, we're trying to steer away in the game of making sure not every woman is connected to the Bene Gesserit because that becomes a little bit silly. Yeah. But, um, and of course, some women aren't interested in becoming that. But if they find useful, talented women, they mm -hmm. end up part of the Bene Gesserit. They know talent where they see it. And because of that, they've worked in the shadows and uh, to serve their agenda. And they're fascinating people. So it's... Um, so there are lots of cool characters to play in this game. That sounds good. So you kind mm. of set up your house mm. and you choose everything and you yeah. choose your characters to kind of be. Um, mm. So so what what else does kind of the books contain? So does it, what sort of adventures, mm. how do you structure a game like this? Because obviously the world is, is so massive. Mm. Uh, yeah. I would, as GM, I'd be so intimidated to kind of approach it. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a tricky one because there are a lot, you've got, even over the novels, there's sort of this section, then it works in like 10,000 year blocks. So the first thing we did was bring all of this canon material into different mm -hmm. eras. And the one we're focusing on to start with is this one we call the Imperium, which is set just before the novel. Mm -hmm. So you've got a, this time of feuding houses and noble backstabbing and politics. Yeah. Uh, we've also got the system does things in a very narrative way. So. Mm -hmm. You're also focused with, I mean, essentially for, the, for each game, what makes adventures easier is the boss of your house says, I want you guys to go and sort this out. That might be a problem with trade on Arrakis. It might be they think mm -hmm. someone's, there's an information leak in their house. It could be that there's an enemy that's resurfaced that, the, that someone wants you to do something about, but not let it, people know it's you. And all the same things that you might see with, um, with any sort of mixture of politics Mm -hmm. and and general adventure game because you've got the whole universe to visit and explore of course, and yeah we also we although we did pare it down a bit start we set everything initially on arrakis so okay. it's called dune for a reason is what we usually thought yeah yeah so it's kind of arrakis i usually described it our vision of this is casablanca in space casablanca in space like, yeah. what tagline exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got this place. There's lots of different political factions here. This is where the spice yeah. comes from. So okay. even if people start just saying, oh, Arrakis, yes, it's a backwater planet. I'm not interested. I just buy spice. I don't, you know, I, I'm not interested. Every house wants more spice. Every mm -hmm. house wants to figure 
it's a way to get our deck walls yeah. into something, to get a better deal, to get some smugglers to funnel some stuff to them. So everyone's got an interest on this base, and everyone's trying to tell you that they've got no interest there at all because it's a bad thing. So the politics are events here. Uh, and there's not so much to explore. There are secrets on Arrakis. There are all the things the Fremen know about mm -hmm. uh, what's really going on on the planet and, uh, and how that works. So there are mysteries, there's adventure, there's politics, there's everything sitting here. And that's just one planet. And as we go through the game, we have more books on the way with that. We're going to start expanding out into the rest of the uh, Imperium so you can go to other people's planets and start messing around with, yeah. with their issues and problems. Houses can come into conflict and all kinds of other bits and pieces can get there. Expanding the universe over time. Yeah. Mm. Exciting. Um, we have a question from Steph, uh, which is, do you have a favourite house in the Dune, Dune universe or the Duneverse, if you please, yes. they have asked. Mm. Oh, it's a tricky one. It's tricky because my favourite section in, in the Dune universe is the, is the Chilaxu, the face dancers. Um, okay. A faction that we're going to be bringing in um, quite soon. Some things. They have these really cool characters who can uh, change their face completely to look like anyone they like, uh, oh, which, okay. is, which is really cool ability. And yeah. um, and they're, they're just, I'm always drawn to the evil ones because the Tlaxu are just not to be trusted. They are deeply, okay. they're, they're biologists and they're really twisted, unpleasant. Um, they, you know, they will do anything for their science. There's some horrific things they do. But <laughs> they're also, I found them quite cool as well. So they are these weird pieces. So I'm a big fan of Romulans and Star Trek. It's the same sort of thing. Uh, but also, in terms of houses, some of the ones I like to, they're ones I can't necessarily mention, but we've we've got a book coming up that will have a lot of different houses in those. And okay. some of those have become my favourites. There's some we've been allowed to create. So there'll be a whole okay. host of different ones. But I've also got, because our next thing out is um, Agents of Dune, which is this big box set, big starter mm -hmm. box set. So you can learn as you play, just open up the box, get stuck in right away on it. Okay, and so. that one, we've got the pre-generated house and characters for that one, is mm -hmm. House Nagara, which obviously, having spent a lot of time working on this box set, I think House Nagara have become one of my favourites because they've got this cool wolf symbol, and mm -hmm. um, and there are guys for this one as well. So yeah, that's that's where uh, pretty much that one. But uh, but they're all they're all cool, all the houses. Although at the same time, it's like a lot. Of, there's no. It's one of the problems we have in you. There's not really any good guys in it. So um, <laughs> even people like the Atreides, who are the, are the good, honest people, they've got some skeletons in their closets. There's, there's things they don't, yeah. don't do that aren't so good. They're not as bad as the Harkonnen, but there are. It's, it's very difficult to entirely root for what there's someone in you, which is kind I mean, of the joy of it, because yeah. everyone's got... I find that a little yeah. real if everyone's got an agenda. It's not about who's good or bad. It's about yes. what people want to do. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. But that makes them a little more interesting and believable, I would say. Definitely. Yes. And what are the, the means mm. to achieve that end that they're willing to do? And uh, yeah, exactly. yes, yes. Well, uh, Steph said they're a fan of House Harkonnen there as well. Oh, so yeah. we'll you, read you, into that. As You can't go yeah. wrong with the baddies as well. You know, I mean, it's, it's again, one of the things I love with, with Dune is that the Harkonnen could be these horrible pantomime villains that they're just baddies. But the Baron Harkon, despite the fact he's this almost caricature, huge, corpulent guy who's you know, mm -hmm. just you know, brutal and horrible, um, he's clever. He's really clever. He's worked out this whole plan to take down other houses and possibly even take control of the Empire. So you always, it's often you sort of yeah. write off the evil characters as if, oh, they're just going to be evil. But when they're intelligent as well, it's so much more, you know, he's the full-on Darth Sidious yeah. in the background as well as that. So an intelligent villain is a great thing, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 hard not to like them in some ways as well. You've got to at least respect them. It's <laughs> good writing if you can make mm. uh, people empathize with what they're doing. Like yeah. not that they agree with the, the yes. evil deeds they're doing, but if you're like, I, I get why you were driven yeah. to this point where you are mm. in this place. I think that's always really good writing in that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, if you have any questions uh, for Andrew, please write it in the comments now. Uh, so get stuck and involved if you're asking about the, the games now. So we're talking about Dune. Um, so with the 
as you mentioned, the role-playing game, uh, it's the official role-playing game, and it's mm. you've basically used the books mostly as the reference. Um, but I think a lot of people, and, and I'm one of them, have mm. come into the Dune universe from the films because uh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read the books. Um, it wasn't so... Mm. How are the books for if you've just perhaps watched the film, uh, found that really interesting and are wanting to give it a go with the role-playing game? What's that? Is, does, would that work as well? Or Absolutely work. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the things we've... You, it's always where you come into a property like this you know that you're going to have, particularly when there's a big film coming out, you're yeah. going to have two different types of customer. You're going to have the customers who have gone, oh, yeah, I've loved June all my life. Books. Give me June. And you're going to have people mm-hmm. who have gone, well, I've seen the movie and some of it didn't make a lot of sense, but I'm interested. So what do I do? So you want to create a book where the people who know the setting can can take what you've done and go where they want to go. Yeah. But also you don't put so much stuff in that people who are new to it have just, say, for instance, see the movie or just read the mm-hmm. first book, go, oh, God, it just looks too complicated. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a big detail on the setting um, in the in the Cornwall book, you know, a mm-hmm. good chunk of it to read through, which hopefully will make sense of a few things. I mean, for instance, the there are things that you don't see till later books. So the, the Chilaxu, my, my favourites, they don't mm-hmm. turn up till Dune Messiah, which is the second book. Okay. Series. So it's going to be at least another movie's worth before they they turn up um, for where people have, who are just watching the movies have seen them. Mm-hmm. And you always hope, as a big reader myself, you always hope that, and I think this is true, that the movie will inspire people to read the books, and maybe the role playing game will inspire people to read the books. And get yeah. Because again, the books are always where it's going to be. But yeah, we've condensed everything into that, and we've also tried to make sure that we give adventures and the like there's an adventure in the back of the book obviously we've got a pdf adventures we've got a quick start guide you can pull free off the bidifius website as well and all those things are designed to give you a just try and pull down everything into a smaller bite-sized chunk Mm -hmm. so you can just take a little bit of dune and then figure that out and then take another bite and then figure out how that goes and gradually after a while you suddenly realize you've got the whole of the known universe at your feet but uh, but to give you enough so it's not completely overwhelming at the start. Yeah. Um, but also give you something where you can look at the cool parts. We haven't gone, oh, well, we, you know, there are some cool things we won't do. Um, I mean, obviously, we've had saved some things. Um, so we've saved the Chilaxu for a little bit later. We've also saved mm-hmm. these ones that people are always um, mentioning because they're big fan favourites is the Ginaz Swordmasters, who are okay. literally the best swordsmen in the universe. Oh, really? Unfortunately, to become one, you have to train on their planet for about five years. And when you okay. do that training, when you finish that, you are then one of the greatest, if you survive, you are one of the best swordsmen ever. So okay. it's kind of like if in D&D terms, I know we're not D&D, but it's quite helpful. <laughs> say, no, right. no. So we're all, we're all about fifth level. Oh, Bob, your guys really impress them with your potential for swordsman things. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause the campaign for five, five years and you're going to come back as 20th level while everyone else is about 10th. Um, how does that sound to everyone? Oh, that's, that's a little bit trickier to work in. So <laughs> we save them for later, we're, but we're bringing them in with some of the more high-level advanced characters because although you are the agent, you know, the elite agents of your house mm-hmm. in this one, we are then looking to move up the game to higher levels where you might be mm-hmm. the ones who control your house later on um, or you're the okay. people who are the elite agents of possibly even the emperor or anything like that. So there's a whole lot. There's always a, an extra level to go up to in Dune. And, okay. uh, and that's where some of these really cool, powerful characters can come in as well. Awesome. So speaking of, we talked a lot about the setting, the characters you can play. Mm-hmm. What's the, the system? So, um, yeah, how, how, what powers yeah. the game? How do you play mechanically? So this one is the 2D20 system, which is Modiphius's house system. And mm-hmm. I'm a little restless to call it house system, although it kind of is, because I remember the days, that, so you'll have people go, oh, a house system. I remember the days of the 80s, which wasn't necessarily that bad, where a lot of games companies had their house system. And anything yeah. that they had, they would, um, they would crowbar any license they got into that house system. You know, it okay. had to be done that way. Now, a mm-hmm. lot of these systems, they still worked. They still, but you're also mm-hmm. thinking it wasn't quite as we do a lot today, where a lot of the time you take your license and then you go your setting and go, what is the best system and how do I use the system for it? Mm-hmm. But, of course, they did have the advantage of you always got to this game and you know what the rules were and you had a system that you tried and tested. So what the Diffius have done, and I think it's the best way around, the 2D20 system is always, for every single game, used for every game, the mm-hmm. same one as you find for Conan, Star Trek, 
Dishonored, um, Homeworld, all of them have the 2D20 system, but they're all a little bit different. Okay. They've all taken the base core rules and then mm -hmm. gone, right, and now how do I make that fit the setting? Okay. So you can pick up pretty etch. You'll find this when you, know, you chat to Jim about Star Trek. Uh, yes. You'll find that the basics will be the same, but they will also then go off in a different tangent. Um, so the the core rule for pretty much all of these is that mm -hmm. you, your character will have two particular attributes. Um, in Dune, we have drives and skills, but they are different okay. for Conan and Star Trek have different ones. Mm -hmm. uh, those two, you add them up and roll a pile of D20 and whichever any of those D20 that roll lower than your combined attribute score are a success. More okay. success is the better. You always start a dice pool with 2D20, hence the mm -hmm. title, and you can buy up, you can spend points to buy up more dice until you reach about 5D20 and your pool is the maximum. Mm -hmm. And there are a few little extra things, like if you roll a 1, you get two successes for that dice, and there are things you can do with focuses and other bits and pieces to give you extra successes. And the more successes you get, the better you've done. Do you beat a difficulty number, which is a set of how many successes you need to get, and if you have, you've succeeded. And along the way, you can gain complications and all kinds of tweaks and fiddles. Um, what I particularly like with um, with this system, the two, because I've done, mm -hmm. I prefer, yeah, well, I've done a, I do a section on games systems I really like. So I've done one on 2D20 uh, because there are some really good parts of this one. And one of the things you do, your bonus points, your sort of, you know, most games have got some beanie points, bonus points, hero point type things. Mm -hmm. um, in 2D20, if you get more successes than you need, those become what they call momentum points. Okay. And those can be spent on subsequent dice rolls to buy more dice or lower difficulties or throw narrative aspects into the game. It's one of the things mm -hmm. I like. You can spend them and go, oh, I've... Um, one of our enemies has turned up for the, things like this, or I've got a, I, I have got a knife that they didn't take off off me when they searched <laughs> us before we came in. So there's lots of little tweaks yes. things you do. There are narrative aid, which is also good, mm -hmm. and um, and it also means that the better you do on the dice rolls, the more of these points you can acquire, and then you spend them and you can acquire more points. It's a bit of a gear change, I think, for a lot of people in systems where you're used to hoarding these points, used to going, okay. oh, we'll save these for the big dice roll. And mm. actually, it works, uh, in my experience anyway, I've discovered it works a lot better if you spend these points, you know, to get more dice pretty much every time yeah. you go. Because if you do well, you'll kill, keep building your, your pool up. And there's a maximum to the pool, which is quite a nice touch. So there comes a point where you go, well, if we can't get any more, we should spend some of these or we're going to gain nothing from a good roll. And it basically represents when your players are doing well and they're on a roll, they gain mm -hmm. momentum you know, in what they're doing. You know, So it all fits together quite nicely. Excellent. Okay. From what, yeah, that that make, that all makes sense. Um, it's good to know that it's got the basic, you know, two D twenty system, but it's been tweaked so it fits yeah. the exact scenario that it is. Um, it from what we've been talking about, it sounds a lot like uh, from the core book. It's really designed to be great for kind of campaigns. So you're yeah. setting up your house and you're mm -hmm. you're kind of going on for that. Um, but somebody has asked if it's possible to run the game as a one shot, uh, and are there kind of plan are there story modules mm -hmm. for like a one shot or something like that planned uh, for the June yeah. setting? So we usually approach everything we do as because um, we know that times have changed. Often people don't often sit down and play one campaign and then. Mm -hmm. People are often playing little bits. So pretty much every adventure we do, we've got a couple out now. There's my Desert Fall and there's Rachel's Time is a Narrow Doorway. We've got out, plus the Worm Sign and the Adventure in the Back of the Book. We have tried to fit them together so that they're in a similar setting so that you can play them mm -hmm. one after the other and they follow on in, in ways. So if you want to have a ready-made campaign, you can dive in that way. But any of them can be just picked up and go, let's just play an adventure so they are beginning, middle, end. And if you want to take it on, carry on later you can if you're not so so keen you can you know, pick something else up but uh, i mean i'm imagining that a lot of people play the way that i, I myself tend to play but yeah. we'll do a couple of adventures of a system and then another cool thing will come along and we'll go oh we want to try that one and then we'll come back to yeah. this so uh -huh. you can you keep the same characters and just when when somebody next wants to run some dune you have another adventure going and carry on um that works very well but you can just go one shot and like you can, I think to be honest mm -hmm. with most games, you can play your one-off adventure and then yeah. carry on through. So, yeah, you know, pick it up if you want to for that one later on. 
Sounds great. So hopefully that, that answers your question, Steph. Yes, it is yeah. certainly possible to run the game as a one shot. Uh, for me, I think it sounds like it would shine really well as a campaign there because then you can yeah. build up your your house and then there's long standing kind of political dramas and things you can weave into yeah. the narrative. And yeah. and it seems it seems like that sort of settings. It's kind of very yeah. Game of Thrones in space sort of style. Yes, very, I mean, that's a very good option for it. <laughs> You've got, I mean, we'd argue actually Game of Thrones probably drew from Dune as well because so many things do. Well, um, yes, yeah. yeah. And what we've done as well is one of the things that I think makes the game interesting is when it comes to combat, we've called it conflict, Rob. So we have okay. what looks initially, it's one of the things that people find a bit scary in the rule book. It looks initially like we've got five different systems for combat. Oh, really? Okay. Dueling, which is obviously big. Dueling is one on one because they have a lot of that in Dune. Skirmish okay. is obviously your, your standard combat fight. Espionage mm-hmm. when you're trying to get secrets from each other, intrigue when you're just trying to mess each other's reputation up, um, mm-hmm. and of course warfare when you're taking your great battle tanks and things. And it looks okay. like, oh, there's a different section for each. Mm-hmm. But actually what we've done is we use the same system for all of them. Okay, so how, the does, section, how does that work? Um, essentially you're rolling pretty much a, an opposed role against your your enemies. Mm-hmm. And if you if you win the role, you defeat them. Uh, and okay. it's, it's done very simply that way. So we work it out as you are having to defeat your enemy, but you determine mm-hmm. what defeat might mean at the start of your, your session. Now, okay. a lot of the mix and match within that is the movement from assets. So what you're looking to do is move your assets. So in the case of warfare, this might be tanks and soldiers. In mm-hmm. the case of a duel, it might be your blade into the guard zones of your opponent. And you move these assets backwards and forwards in a very tactical way until you can get your knife or your soldiers or your your reputation or your blackmail into the right place to make a strike against your enemy. And then Mm -hmm. in one dice roll, you've either taken them down or you haven't. So it's a lot of sort of movement and tactical things. And then it's all over very quickly in the moment. So you can then stretch that as much or as little as you like. So if you go, actually, I don't want to play out a big duel Let's just mm-hmm. roll and see who wins. Bang, yeah, you won. Yeah. Because things are, you know, things yeah. do turn on a coin very quickly in Dune, and it's also mm-hmm. a very brutal world. You know, you can use yeah. a du- lose a duel and that's it, you're out, or lose a war. Okay. So all of the conflict types we have in this are basically reskins of the same basic system, which means that if you've got the basics, you can then do political things, war, war games, duels. It all mm-hmm. fits together in the same way because... A lot of games will do, oh, we need a no different social system for this, and then we need a battle system, and then, yeah. you know, and it would just get very complicated very quickly. So we've tried to make that all work in the same way. And your characters can work from a distance by sort of being the what we call architects. So you can be ordering your assets in from afar, uh, or you can be the boots on the ground, the guys inside the fight or the battle or the, mm-hmm. yeah, or the, the salon where you're trying to um destroy reputations and be the agents that way around so we've also got a distance thing so there's a lot of different ways to play the game that you're going to find very possibly a bit of a gear change from usually just going into the adventure and things you can very much play the puppet masters in this uh you could indeed even play the game where your characters themselves never actually leave the room they all sit around a boardroom discussing and you are using assets and moving your pieces and your pawns and your knights across the universal chessboard of the imperium to achieve the end of the adventure okay so um, your, your characters don't have yeah. to have any combat skill at all uh, well your, you would take your battle skill mm-hmm. uh, which might be how good you are with a blade but it might also be how good you are at sending tanks into the right place in a warfare uh, so it's very pulled down we have as we come back to these two sets of attributes we have mm-hmm. the drives that are your, your faith or power. It's why are you doing what you're doing? What is driving your character to try and achieve this objective? Mm-hmm. And then we have battle, communicate, discipline as skills. And those are all the um, skills you need of the five that we have for those. Um, okay. So everything defaults to those. So you haven't got this long line of, of different skills. You know, oh, I'm good at herbalism and things. That will all come mm-hmm. under your understanding. And you might have focuses in different things to, to give your characters different edges in different places. So there's a lot of, it's it's a very narrative game. So yeah. you will find, there's a couple of places, if, if D&D is in your previous thing, yeah. you may find it a little bit taking away some of the things you're used to of going, oh, hang on, don't mm-hmm. I just roll for initiative and I, I fight him? Or 
do I just make yeah. a skill? There's a little more thought here about why you're doing what you're doing and how your character is going to about go about it and what they're going to do with all their cool stuff and how they're going to apply it. But the same, the payoff for that is that you can add so much more to the narrative. You don't just yeah. say what your skill is doing. You say how you're coming about it, how things do, what contacts you're manipulating to get there. Uh, once you get into it, there's a lot of story that you can add and build into the game from the players, not just listening to the GM and what they say, describe and, and ask mm -hmm. you, and now roll that dice. This is the GM coming to the players and saying, what are you going to do? There's that enemy has walked into the room. What are you going to do about it? And what are you going to use to do about it? Mm. And then it's entirely up to you to look at what you've got available to you and how yeah. you're going to do about it. And it all can come from the players, which can, I appreciate, be a little daunting sometimes, but that's why we've got a huge, thick rule book to give you yeah. all of the structure and options and things for you to, to go, oh, right, I don't quite know how I'm going to start, but I've got this and this and this. Let's see what, and I know what they do. Mm. Let's see what I can do with that. So you don't have to know everything in intimate detail, but, uh, but it's a case of using the tools you have to try and apply to the situation that you've got. So Sounds very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, we are coming up near to the top of the hour. So if you mm. have any questions for Andrew uh, about Dune or any of the other projects he's worked on, actually, that you may know, uh, feel free to put them in the chat and we will ask them now. Um, but yeah, thank you. That's a really good uh, summary of the system. And it's something I'm quite excited about. I haven't read the books, but I've seen the films and it's a really interesting yeah. world. And I do enjoy uh, a game that has a lot of kind of intrigue and kind of political mm. maneuverings and plotting. So uh, it does sound like more my sort of mm. thing, really. Yeah, I mean, um, this, is, this is the thing we focused on. Because again, there are mm -hmm. there are fights. I mean, you've seen already the film. There are fights and actions, but there's also intrigue and politics going on. Um, yes. which is all my favorite stuff as well you know i'm mm -hmm. say like come back to the romulans again you know i love the genius <laughs> manipulators in the background yeah. and you know i always like to have a, sy a system that will let me do that sort of thing yeah so apart from dune and apart mm -hmm. and not D, D, what are your kind of favorite rpgs uh that you like to play or that you're playing at the moment Oh, so many things. Uh, the moment I'm, I'm actually, there's so many cool things. The moment I'm actually running some Blue Rose um, because we had, uh, we've got a, uh, our gaming group has just gained the um, uh, the 13 year old daughter of two of our group. She's got mm -hmm. old enough to want to join in the more grown up one, but we thought Blue Rose would be the best um, okay. fit for that one. Um, and that, I've got oceans of that from Green Ronin. There's loads of adventures mm -hmm. for that, so we're powering through. I'm a massive fan of fan of Invisible Sun. I wish we mm -hmm. could would open that to community content because I would write oceans for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm always at some place point. I'm playing Seven C, which as I say is the best setting. As you say, claim that it's. I have never known anyone. I mean, I, and I don't think this is just me being an awesome GM. I'd love to think I'm an awesome GM. I've <laughs> never run the game for people and had them not fall in love with it. You know, it's like I will challenge people. Say, play Seven C you will love this game. It is just a wonderful thing to, you can jump straight in, you know what you're doing. Um, of course, Pendragon, as I said before, and again, it started me writing these articles about good system design because Pendragon, it's, I think it was John Wick, who came up with, a, I think, the Greg Stafford Law that said, uh, if you think you've created a new, exciting um, rules mechanic that nobody else has thought of before, check what Greg Stafford has written, you will find he thought of it first. Oh, wow, Pendragon is Pendragon is full of those things. And it's it's simple and it just works. And I mean, it's not 100% without its faults, but I don't think it's it's like on the 99.9% thing. It is, That's my it is a work of gaming genius. Um, and, well, uh, there's some uh, recommendations for you there. <laughs> yeah, so I've got, and I've got shelves of, of books. You know, any game or anything. I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. I've just you know, and you know, and we've been playing Star Star Trek. Got through my group through the pandemic as well. So it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. And of course Dune. So yeah, there are too many games. You find yourself bouncing from one to the other. Um, going, oh, that one's cool. Should we do that one? I have got so many games I've started and campaigns that we begin, and then I sort of we drift off into something else. And, <laughs> and Get distracted by all and, the good stuff. So, Yes, I mean we've been yeah. playing with with I I role play with my American friend Walt Janowski. We've written loads mm -hmm. of Doctor Who books together, um, and he's running. He's a big Highlander fan, so we're running a prime time okay. of pictures where we're all Highlanders at the moment. 
um, which is good. So, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about gaming is that however many games you've played, and sometimes you think, I've played all of them, haven't I? And then you go, no, no, you haven't. But you'll always find something. You go, oh, wow, this one's really cool. You know, and they mm. even have this with, to be honest, and I will put my hand up to this one, say, with My Little Pony. Um, I don't know the new one from Renegade. Yeah, so that's so. We talked about that on this week yeah. in Tabletop the last um, week. It's great because it's happened. You know, I wrote a little bit for the previous one, mostly because, again, the aforementioned 13-year-old daughter of our game, when she was very young, she she would sort of be playing around when we would be gaming. And then eventually one day said, when she was, I think, about six or seven, said, mm-hmm. can I play? And we thought... Not the game we're playing, because we're a little <laughs> bit worried what you may have overheard, actually, because if you're listening, content, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit grown up. But um, so, but then she was a big fan of My Little Pony, as so many, so many poor girls are, and they came out with Tales of Equestria, and I, mm-hmm. I read this and I thought, this is a really good game. I, I love how the system design is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so I got I got chatting for them and wrote The uh, the Haunting of Equestria. So I, I, of course, it's me, so I do a horror game. Basically. Yeah, um, but a My but Little Pony are. horror game. So. But, this, but this is the brilliant thing, and it is a one. And I challenge any games writer to to have a look at My Little Pony, because in most games you solve pretty much most adventures in role playing by in some way squishing the big baddie. You get yeah, to the like end, you you grab them, the yeah. object or you kill the monster or you you take it from the villain or just something like. In My Little Pony, you can't really do that. In My Little Pony, usually you're going. Well, we'll find why the villain is doing something bad and see if we can make friends with them. (laughs) Why why are they horrible about things? Well, what they're horrible about is because they didn't have any friends. So maybe if we're friends with them, they'll be they'll stop being horrible to people and usually they are you have I to love think that. in this i one. i made a D D character like that actually who yeah. whenever she met villains she was like well they just mean because they're sad inside yeah uh, and she actually ended exactly up making that. friends with this ghoulish monster thing yeah. which we were meant I mean, to fight but we end, they ended up being just a little npc yeah. friends because because exactly. we were it's, nice it's to how them. i end this, this horror adventure where there are these i mean say you know, stop listening if you plan to play um, Haunting of Equestria. But uh, it ends where they find this this small child pony, this small foal, mm-hmm. who is kind of involved in what's going on, but they're too frightened to get involved, in, uh, to face off against the big baddie. It's not about mm-hmm. the players facing off. They have to inspire this foal to say, no, you've got to face your fears and you've got to be the one to, to stand forward and say, no, this is, you know, no big horrible monsters. I'm not going to be frightened of you anymore. And of course, once they've inspired them to, they then have to drag them away because they're like, "No, no, let me at them! I'm, I've lost my fear now." And, they, and then the next <laughs> thing is to try and drag them away, and before they get themselves hurt. So there are there are some wonderful ways to try and figure out different ways of how to solve adventures. Mm-hmm. I recommend everyone has a look at My Little Pony and just um, and see how it fits together and how you create adventures. It will challenge some of your. Um, assumptions about gaming, which you don't expect in a in a game for children with with magical yeah. horses. It's yeah. not what I would expect from My Little yeah. Pony. Um, yeah. But yeah, yes. somebody was asking yeah. for the My Little Pony. Which of the specific system you were talking about for My Little Pony? Um, it's it's most it mostly all it's a very simple system. So that was one part of the joy of it was that you could pick it up and you could give it to a seven year old. It's fine. It was the that you have all of your skills are a number you've got to roll under and or they've got a dice that you've got to roll and then you start with your d4 to d6 d8 d12 d20 and you're given a difficulty number mm-hmm. and usually in a lot of systems you go oh if i've got a d4 there's no point in me rolling because i can't roll a five so what do i do or i've got to spend some points but the nice thing about my little pony is if you roll the, the highest number then you get to roll the next dice up. And if you keep doing that, potentially you could have a D4 as your skill and you might potentially even make a difficulty of 20 if you get Mm -hmm. really, really, really lucky. Uh, It's unlikely. But I really love that aspect of there is always a possibility, there's always a chance to roll, and it's not complicated. It's not then you have to buy in points or anything. It's like, roll that. And, Mm -hmm. of course, the lower the dice, the more chance it will have of rolling its highest number. Yeah. So you've actually got quite a good possibility of rolling a D4 and getting to roll a D6. And of course, the D6 might not roll as well. You might roll a one on the D6, in which case you keep I mean, the yeah. four that you had before. So it's just, you still read this stuff and you go, it just works. That's, that's nice. 
and again smooth and it's a system i would have happily used for rather more um this is more adult games like it's more adult. Stuff. different but, uh, things, yeah I, you know i've written some some weird crazy games but i've quite gone that far but, uh, <laughs> okay yeah. well there you go there's some recommendations mm. my little pony is that what you expected for the person that made dune yeah. i don't know but there we have it um so uh andrew thank you so much for your time and talking to us about dune if you are interested okay. in learning more about dune i put the links where you can purchase it mm -hmm. into the chat and also you can learn more uh, on the websites which you can see in the screen and I've put mm. on the chat there, which is modifius.net. Uh, there's a Discord channel, Modifius Official, and also Modifius mm. has a YouTube channel that you can go to check out more information on that there. Um, so uh, we um, at Not D&D, uh, we do this every single week. Uh, so we have another guest mm. coming next week. So next Monday, we are speaking to Banana Chan about their game, Demios Academy, which is on Kickstarter now. It's got a really unique mechanic, which uses colouring in as part of the system. So come and check that out and ask your questions there. Um, also, excitingly, um, so Not D&D is brought to you by EN Life, which is part of EN World, the leading tabletop news and reviews website. Uh, so also this Friday, we have our show This Week in TTRPG, which is available as a podcast. And it's just two minutes summarizing uh, all the week's news. So if you want to keep up to date, you can do that. Or you can get a summary and schedule of all the shows we do at enliverpg.com. Um, so as we have uh, as we have no other questions to answer, mm -hmm. I'm going to say farewell to everybody. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming along. And I hope we can see you next week. Thank you very much. Yes. Bye. Bye.